It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope-free edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week we talk about local sports topics, a national sports topic or two. We've got a gambling segment, usually, and a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything on Twitter, and you can hit Rick up with questions, and he will ask, and I will try to answer them. Rick, how are you today? Hot. Trying to stay cool. I think this is an inside day. Um, These have been pretty much three inside. I was out in it Tuesday at Bengals practice. I thought yesterday, Wednesday, was just abysmally worse, and I have not ventured out so far on this fine Thursday morning. Isn't that just lovely? So... Yeah, all the people, I saw Jed Demusi tweet this, all the people that, you know, when it's 35, 40 degrees that are complaining about they want summer, this is their revenge right here. You got to deal with days like this where it feels like you're wearing a humidity sweatshirt from the second you wake up. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe, I was watching Tyler Shelvin at practice on Tuesday. He's got a cast on his left wrist, but he, but he walked around Paul Brown Stadium like eight or ten times, I guess, to get a workout in, wearing a full-fledged sweatshirt. I'm like, what are you? I guess the big man's trying to sweat a little bit off. It looks like. That's one thing I always like when you go downtown and you see the uh, the boys on the corner with the giant coats in the summer. It's like, hmm, wonder, wonder what's going on there. What you packing underneath that yeah, coat, wh- man? What's that look about? <laughs> I always like that. That's why. That's why I like about going to the big city. Exactly. All right. Let's get into some sports talk, Skinny. The Reds went three and four since we last spoke. The big story at this point of the season is catcher Tyler Stevenson, who fractured his thumb in Thursday's loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's expected to miss four to six weeks. And, Skinny, my question is, do you think the Reds need to move Tyler Stevenson to another position to try to keep one of their best players healthy and in the lineup every day? I don't because you groomed him as a catcher. You were hoping he is your catcher of the long-term future. It's an important position. So you've groomed a guy for an important position. Let's let him play there. Let's just let's just figure out how a way to put our put our right hand behind our our uh, our right knee like most catchers do and not expose it to getting broken. But no, I don't I don't think we're up for a position switch. I don't. I know he got concussed earlier this year. I know he's now broken a thumb and it sucks. But this is what you groomed him to be the catcher. I mean, that's what you groomed him to be. I mean, if Johnny Bench had broken his thumb early in his career, would we have said, "Oh yeah, he's he's too important of a bat"? No, he's a good, he's a really good catcher. Well, people have definitely changed the way they look at players and investments and keeping them on the field and stuff since the Johnny bench era. But the one thing I will agree with you about is Tyler Stevenson is elite as a catcher. Like when you look at his bat at the catcher spot, he's one of the best in the majors. If you move him to a corner outfield spot or first base, that's not the case any longer. You don't have a special player. You have a good player, player, solid player, but he's no longer top of the MLB at his position. So now, He's only 25. He might have more upside as a hitter. It's possible if you move him, it works out. And don't get me wrong. I mean, the Reds are 4-18 and without him this year. So you'd like to keep him on the field. He definitely makes a difference, especially with the current roster that you have in place. But I'm kind of with you from the standpoint of you brought him up as a catcher. The idea is you've got your catcher of the future. That's why you got rid of Tucker Barnhart. You feel really good about having this one position solidified you got a top tier guy at that position. Now I don't know that I want to move him and keep chasing that at every position because yeah. you, if you move him, you no longer have a, a top tier guy at a position. Yeah. If you were to tell me Rick that in two years, I've got another Tyler Stevenson, 
maybe even lower level Tucker Barnhart, at least defensive guy who can hit you 250. I might move him in a couple of years, but but I don't have that guy that I know of in the pipeline. And I, listen, I can find a first baseman a whole lot easier than, than I can find a catcher. And, and um, I, again, that this is what you groomed him to be, and he's 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 a, a leap behind the plate. He would have been the Reds All Star this year because he's a catcher. He wouldn't have been the Reds All Star because he's the the left fielder or DH or first baseman. It's because he, he what he did as a catcher and hitting as a catcher. So no, I I get the fear, the trepidation. Um, he just needs to learn to tuck his damn right hand behind his right knee and not expose it. Yeah, and the other thing is, if you do move him, look at Nick Senzel. You can still get hurt playing other positions. Sure. It's not like that eliminates you from getting hurt. Now, it does eliminate some wear and tear. It keeps you in the lineup every day as opposed well, to having to take some more days off. Well, but, but you know, then that, and that's where it comes into, I think, down the road eventually when Joey Votto's gone, you will see on days that Tyler Stevens takes quote-unquote off he will be the DH that day if you carry three catchers, or he will play first base just to make sure you don't expose yourself to, to having to play a, a, a number three emergency catcher because he's the DH for that day. I think he will get 20 to 25, 30, 35 starts at first base eventually. That that, that part's fine. Johnny Bench did that. Johnny Bench would play left field sometimes. Um, uh, he played third base a little bit. He played first base on occasion, but really – on his days, quote unquote, off, he was still in the lineup somewhere for the most part. So I think the same thing for Tyler Stevens. He's a good enough athlete to do that. Um, so I do want him in the lineup 150 to 155 times a game. 120 of those behind the plate. In the other side of this is if you asked this question two years ago for certain, but maybe even last year, Tyler Stevenson's defense wasn't really part of this equation. You were only really talking about his offense. But all of a sudden this year, He's really put his defense in focus during the offseason, worked on everything. He's one of the best in the majors now at throwing runners out, at least so far this season he had been, despite the games he's missed. So, like, he's good defensively, too, as a catcher. At least he's coming along in a big way there. So I I think it's more than just about his bat now in terms of leaving him behind the plate. You've really got a stud at catcher. And so, I I mean, it sucks that he's injured. It sucks that you don't have him in the lineup right now, but – it really doesn't matter for this year. It's, it's not hurting anything this year. It's kind of better that it would happen in a season like this, and hopefully you get better luck next year or the year after that when you're hopefully in a better position to, to compete. So, yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm with you ultimately. you got to leave him behind the plate. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he can't play in bubble wrap. I mean, give me a break. He, he, catchers get hurt on occasion. It sucks he's gotten hurt now, but it doesn't change my opinion of what he should be. Any other thoughts on the Reds before we move on, Skinny? Let me think. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I really don't have it in me to talk about the bullpen right now. Yeah, we, I, I, we knew it was coming. So, yeah, Rick, I guess my only other thing for them, the bullpen does suck, but the the larger sample size of this team is one of success. It's amazing they've played five hundred over five hundred baseball since the the slow start. Some of it's schedule related, but you know, good for them. They're playing winning baseball. It's just a point of right now. It just it doesn't it it simply doesn't matter. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, the starting pitching has been great recently. Yes. I mean, that has been somewhat fun to watch, but and I mean, the, great, be, the great thing be, is you can just watch the, the starting pitching performances and not even care when they go to 12 innings and keep blowing leads. Cause it's like, eh, who cares if they win or lose the game? Yeah. I'll be Frank, a rotation of Mally Castillo, Hunter green, when he's been at his best of late and, and Graham Ashcraft is pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're just wondering, okay, so who's up on the trading block before the deadline and right. in fairness, I mean, Castillo and Malley certainly should be if there's interest in them, but you're right that that rotation right now has been pretty good and fun to watch. 
Let me ask you, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks. If you had to pick a Reds All-Star right now without Tyler Stevenson, who would it be? Graham Ashcraft. I know. I mean, seriously, though. Brandon Drury? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Sure. Farmer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love me some Kyle Farmer. But yeah, if if Graham Ashcraft can bounce back from a quote-unquote bad start, and it really wasn't bad, it just wasn't dominant, and, and get back on track, he might pitch his way into the All-Star game for all I know. Dud. I don't necessarily have a better answer than that. So. I don't either. All right, let's switch gears here. We have a new number we can base our Jesse Bates contract conversations around after the Steelers signed safety Minka Fitzpatrick to a four-year, $73.6 million contract. Fitzpatrick is due $18.4 million annually and $36 million guaranteed at signing. He is now the highest paid safety in the NFL in terms of average annual salary. So skinny... How close to this number do you think Jesse Bates will be asking for? And do you think this impacts the likelihood of Bates and the Bengals coming to terms on a new deal? Yeah, I don't think it impacts it because I don't think they were ever going to come to a long-term deal. I just, right. I've, I've said that from the outset. I, I think this just puts it in some perspective of where we, where they may have to go money-wise. And, and I think the big portion of it is, isn't just the overall dollar figure for Fitzpatrick. It's the 36 mil guaranteed. I think he's going to want, in the neighborhood of 30 mil guaranteed, no matter how it's structured. And I just don't see them doing that. Yeah, that's the, that's the big thing is how much money are you willing to guarantee? And Jesse Bates and his agent don't seem too interested in giving the Bengals a discount, nor should they necessarily. Right. <clears throat> um, I guess I look at it from the perspective of I, I don't really see a way in which it makes sense to pay Jesse Bates. So I try to like, Instead of doing the straw man argument, it's, you know, I try to steal man argument. It's tr- well, like, what's the best argument to pay Jesse Bates and keeping him around? And like, okay, you, you win now if you keep him. It, it gives you the best chance this year with this roster to to, to make him happy and, and keep him going. You bolster your defense that's improving, but not loaded by any means at this point. And you lock up a talented guy who was, he's been a big part of the transformation of this franchise. You're keeping one of your own guys around. I still don't think that's worth it, though, when you start talking about the ways it might handicap you going forward and paying other guys. And and who else is going to be coming up in terms of contract negotiations in the next year or two? Yeah, and I just don't see it as a premium position. I'm sorry I don't. Um, you know, if you're ranking positions to pay players, safety is way down the list, in my opinion. It just is. Yeah, I would agree. And I I'm mean, paying a quarterback. I'm paying a premier wide receiver. I'm paying a left tackle. I'm paying a pass rusher. I'm paying a corner. That's a lot of guys to start paying before I get the safety. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, if you're telling me I'm going to have to skimp on a pass protector for Joe Burrow or another weapon for him on the offensive side, I, no. Like, that's not, I'm not taking a a guy like Jesse Bates at the safety position over someone else that's going to help Joe Burrow in that offense specifically. And then even then, if you go to the defensive side of the ball, like you said, pass rusher is still going to be a much higher priority for me. I'd rather spend the money there or upgrading at cornerback as well. So I, I like Jesse Bates. I'd like to have him around. I think there's a world in which you can do this type of thing. I mean, you look at the Rams and how much they're spending on all their stars. Like, I, I get that that's a possibility in the NFL to spend the money, but the reality is I don't think the Bengals are going to do that. So someone's not going to get paid 
within the next couple of years. And if I'm having to pick who that is out of the top guys on this roster, Jesse Bates is the odd man out still. Right. And, and listen, Joe Burrow went to bat for him the other day. I know that the, the fans probably think that whole think thinks think that holds a lot of water. Um, and it does to some degree, but it's not going to change the organization organization's attitude. And don't think for a second that the trip that those two are taking to Las Vegas isn't as much about Joe Burrow telling him, Jesse, listen, man, we need you this year. You got to play. You, you can't walk away from 13 mil. I know it sucks. It's the business side of this. Go play, play your ass off. Go get paid after this year somewhere else. Well, and that's part of what Joe Burrow said in his comments too, is business is business. So he, he's going to have his guys back. He's going to be sure. a good teammate in the locker room. And that's the best thing for the team and the locker room chemistry. But at the end of the day, he also realizes that you only have so much money. It's a finite resource here. It, it, when you're talking about a payroll and salary cap and everything, he wants his weapons too. He wants Lyle Collins blocking for him. He wants money spent in other places. So while yes, he's going to go to bat for his teammates publicly, he also gets it. And I don't, I, I think he realizes what's at stake here. Yeah. And I, I've said this from, from, from jump street. I, I've always said it that I didn't think they were going to sign him to a long-term deal. Um, and he's not going to walk away from $13 million guaranteed on the franchise tag. He plays, um, I guess it remains to be seen. Does he play as a guy making business decisions like he did for the first half of last year? Or does he just say to hell with it? I'm going to play my ass off and I'm going to really get paid somewhere after this year. Well, and he really should do the latter because there's a ton at stake for him. I mean, one, you have $13 million to play for this year. I realize that there's the possibility of an injury and missing out on all the long-term money, but $13 million is still getting paid pretty well. It's still a lottery ticket, man. And you're on an NFL team that has a legitimate chance to compete for a Super Bowl. Right. You were just there last year. Yeah, with how many eyeballs this year watching you, right? You're on prime time five times. If you get in the playoffs again, if you go deep in the playoffs again, you got a lot of eyeballs around the league on you watching how good you could be, and and that's going to get you paid. Yeah, you've already established yourself as one of the top players at your position. Go make a play or two on primetime TV, and you're getting as much money as you want next year. So uh, he has every reason to want to play this season and play well. The only other question I would have about this, Skitty, is do you think there's any possibility that the Bengals look to trade him here before we get through this year? That's a great question. I think that's where we're going to see if if we get the push comes to shove blink moment around July 15th when he has to, when, when the, the deadline ends for them to, to sign him to an extension because um, we're both of the belief they're not going to do that. So at that point, let's say we get to July 14th and they've had their behind-the-scenes meetings and Jesse and his camp are completely adamant that I'm not going to play on this franchise tag. If then you believe that is the Bengals, then I think it is your duty to go ahead and trade him, get something of value for him. You've already got his his replacement ready to groom um, in, in Dax Hill. Uh, you know, I'm not here to tell you. Who knows? Dax Hill could step in and be better than Jesse Bates for all I know. I mean, I don't know if he will be because Jesse Bates has proven NFL tape and Dax Hill doesn't, but he could be. So I think that's where we will not know anything. I think in my opinion, until literally July 15th rolls around the deadline comes. And if he is adamant of digging his heels in and his agent is adamant, then I think at that point you, you do have to get something of value for Jesse Bates in return um, in, in terms of a draft pick. I think that you, you owe it to your franchise to do that as opposed to letting him waste away. It feels unlikely to me. It does to me too. That he would sit out this year. And that's where I think this, yeah, that's where I think this Joe Burrow trip with him, while they are friends and they do talk a lot, I think this is kind of a put the arm around the the guy moment and say, listen, this is business and it sucks, 
But but hey, I need you. We need you. You need you need to play great this year for yourself. Um, I, I think Joe Burrow will give him the pep talk that will eventually lead to him playing this season. And I and listen, I don't think this is still. I've never heard these words come out of Jesse Bates' mouth. It's come out of his camp, right? And right. I've told you that during this whole voluntary process, it's it's easy to be the tough guy. I'm not showing up, but I'm not signing. Well, you. It's voluntary, man. You ain't got to show up anyway. Most guys do, obviously. They think they, you know, but I get why he didn't. And no one begrudges him of not showing up. So it's so easy right now to play that role and say, I'm not going to sign it. He's not going to sign it. Okay, you can say that now. That's great because you're right. He can say it and he doesn't have, he's not going to show up. And so it looks like tough guy stance. I, I just don't believe it. Eliminate the possibility of him sitting out this year. Do the Bengals consider trading him anyways? No, just to try to get something. Yeah, no, no. Okay. I, I, I think if you think you have a Super Bowl ready team and you still and they, listen, hey, you know what they could have done, Rick? You know what they could have done if they didn't believe in 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 him helping their club this year? Could have just let him walk and not tagged him. Then you would have gotten a compensatory pick for him. So I, I think they truly believe that that he is a big part of this team. They're giving him thirteen million dollars more than he made in his first four years combined by a long shot. So it's not like they suddenly said, here's a mill, play or else. They're giving him a good piece of change. The franchise tag, while it's awful on the one hand because you are playing on the one-year deal and there is potential of catastrophic injury and all of that, it's also a pretty damn good deal financially. Kirk Cousins made a boatload off of back-to-back franchise tags, then going into free agency. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other side of it. He's getting paid plenty of money. I don't feel bad for Jesse Bates in this situation. Yeah, and nobody should. I and listen, I I get the fan reaction of he's a great player, great in the locker room, he's a face of the front. I get all of those things. You just can't pay them all, man. You just can't. Yeah, and well, and more importantly, for from our perspective, the Bengals aren't going to, even if they could. Right. So right, it's it's kind of like, and we can argue whether they should or not. They don't value the guard position. They they have their pecking order of who they're going to pay. They're going to pay the quarterback. They're going to pay star position players. Um, and finally, they've changed some philosophy where they did pay for a pass rusher, Trey Hendrickson. They did pay for a big-time run stopper in, in DJ Reader. They did pay for some corners because they needed them. So they've changed philosophy there, but you can't pay them all. Skitty, many have speculated that Odell Beckham Jr. could be interested in teaming up with the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. Burrow posted an Instagram photo with the caption, quote, my spidey sense is starting to tingle a bit. And the free agent wide receiver from LSU replied to Burrow saying, quote, the one, end quote, whatever the hell that means. Skinny, uh, what do you make of the OBJ to Cincinnati speculation? Absolutely poppycock is what I make of it. Because (laughs) listen, here's the thing. Some some good poppycock. Here's here's the thing. And, And listen, maybe, maybe. You could argue maybe if he does do this, and I don't believe this in any way, shape, or form, that he's coming back from knee surgery. He gives himself a chance to to maybe heal, and you don't need him right away. But let's just say the big three stay healthy all year, right? Of T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. Where is this goof nut going to play? And you think that if he gets healthy in week 10, for example, that he's going to be really happy being a fourth-ride receiver getting eight snaps in a game? That's the exact reason I wouldn't consider this. Correct. Yeah. If there's one position group aside from quarterback on this roster that I don't think the Bengals need an upgrade at talent-wise, it's wide receiver. So yeah, you I'm don't still... really need OBJ. Could you use some depth in the yes. wide receiver room? Yes. Right. But OBJ isn't a fourth wide receiver or fifth wide receiver. 
He is a guy that has to be in the lineup or you're probably going to have problems with him. Now, if on day two of training camp, one of the big three get hurt or for whatever reason, T Higgins does not, isn't, you know, can't, whatever reason that the, the, he's been fine. I mean, he's been in every OTA. He has not practiced because he's coming off the labor surgery, et cetera. But if you come to find out that, geez, T just took a shot on that shoulder again and I, it may be another couple of months. That makes sense. All the sense, of work, but not to come in as a fourth wide receiver. Come on. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, I, I don't want to take a chance on adding his personality to this group, especially coming off an injury. It just, you know, if, if he's not right right away and things get off to a bad start or it just he's been too combustible in locker rooms before this locker room has finally gotten into a spot where you feel like it's in a great place. Credit to Zach Taylor, credit to Joe Burrow for all of those things. But you don't need to start going down this route, especially at a position where you're fine. You don't need a top-end talent. You've got really good starters at that position group. So could you use a fourth wide receiver? Absolutely. I wish they had a little more depth. I, I like maybe potentially some of these young guys and, and other guys that are there, so we'll see who steps up. But it's it's not a spot that I would want Odell Beckham Jr. for. Yeah, I, I asked Zach Taylor on uh, Tuesday about adding potentially a, a veteran offensive tackle because they do have two roster spots open. And he, he said, you know, we have those two spots open for a reason. You know, you, you, you kind of look around. I, I do think this, Rick, I do think by the time training camp starts, I do think you'll see another tackle in camp. And I honestly do think you'll see another veteran wide receiver in camp. I, I believe both of those things. Um, so I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I'm not sold on the Mike Thomas, Trent Taylor, Stanley Morgan as a fourth wideout guy. They so far seem to be. And that's all well and good as long as the big three stay healthy. And last year, they only missed two games combined. Um, but yeah, this whole OBJ thing, just it's it's nonsensical. We're recording this on Thursday morning, which is the final day of OTAs, I believe. You guys, yes. yep. you guys yep. had your final day with them on Tuesday, Tuesday. or Wednesday. Yep. Tuesday, yeah. Uh, while we're talking about receiver, I do want to ask you about a name that's come up a few times. Kwame Lasseter, the second has been mentioned throughout OTAs a little bit. He was an undrafted free agent wide receiver out of Kansas. Now, undrafted free agents are huge long shots, obviously, to even make the roster. What have you seen or heard about Kwame Lasseter, and do you think he has a shot at making the team? I think he has a shot. Um, they, they've been, they used him the other day as a punt returner. He was back there catching them, and he actually caught them far better than Puka Williams, who juggled one, um, did. And actually, Trent Taylor was a disaster the other day, which is weird. He couldn't, he, he didn't even try to catch any. It could have been they were doing a drill where he was supposed to run up and not catch, and they wanted to look at gunners. I mean, you never know with what they're trying to trying to do drill drill wise. Um, he's looked really good um, in in some seven on seven stuff. But let let me let me I, and I always couch this with, I have to see how these guys handle when big physical NFL cornerbacks get their hands on them and reroute them. How do they get off of that? So I'm going to reserve judgment till I see that in training camp. But at least for what they've asked him to do and what he's tried to show, he's shown burst. He's shown good hands. He's he's shown reliable hands. Um, I think they're going to at least let him get a feel as a punt returner. And I think that's what it comes down to for him and Trent Taylor is which one do they feel most comfortable as a punt returner? That guy probably sticks and the other guy probably doesn't. And I think when push comes to shove, I'm going to take the guy that just caught punts in the Super Bowl over an undrafted free agent guy. Fair enough. Well, the two of the reasons that he kind of intrigued me were one, he 5'11 guy that he has some downfield ability and everything, but he also looks like that kind of NFL slot position. And yeah. there's been some concerns yeah. about being able to keep all the receivers around. Tyler Boyd kind of looks like the odd man out in, within the next couple of years, potentially. So 
they might be looking to replace that slot position. Not saying Kwame Lasseter is the guy to do so, but that that could be his mold when you look at him. And then also the punt returning factor is it's something they need. So uh, if he could potentially take over those duties and he brings both of those things to the table potentially. So I've seen three or four different people mention his name at different times throughout OTAs. I think Ben baby was the one who mentioned him on, on Tuesday. So uh, I was just curious if you had any thoughts on him, but aside from that, OTAs have wrapped up any final thoughts on what you saw or things that were said over the, the last week or two. Yeah. The, the, the one thing to me that I, I love this whole, they've brought long snapper and, and drew Christman potentially being the punter and, and, you know, they're about to get rid of Clark Harris and Kevin Huber. And I'm just going to caution everybody of, of this portion of the program. Clark Harris has never had a bad snap on a placement kick or a punt. And we can all joke, and, and, and Paul Daner Jr. wrote about it in The Athletic, the whole halftime incident where he talked right. to Clark, talked to Darren, talked to to uh, um, talk to Kevin Huber, I think, a little bit as well. Um, talked to Evan, all those things. And it was a good, it was a great story. It's Dr. Uh, Dre's fault. Clark's yes, out. Yes, it is. But as much as Darren can be pouty and upset, and I get that coaching part of it, I, I, I'm going to stick to this plan. They played Buffalo on that that next to last game of the season with the number one seed on the line. Do you want rookie long snapper snapping to completely untested NFL holder um, for the game winning kick, or do you want guy who's never had a bad snap to a guy who's held for sixteen years, thirteen years, whatever the hell long Kevin Huber's been in the league and an operation that worked flawless last year? You tell me which one you want in that circumstance, and then I'll tell you who's going to be the long snapper and the holder. Yeah, don't mess with that situation. I mean, I don't even understand why we're talking about this unless it's that Darren Simmons is legitimately that upset over the Snoop Dogg performance that they went out for. I mean, but like, here's the thing that I can't get over about the story is it said in there that Darren Simmons was especially mad because there were some adjustments that they wanted to make at halftime that included Clark Harris. Now, let me put my football ignorance on full display for everybody. What on God's green earth could you possibly be adjusting with the center that couldn't be said in like more than two or three words? What is the long snapper going to be doing? That's going to be a huge adjustment for your game plan. Yeah. The only adjustment I can think of is that that you want the punter to line up a certain place. And that's where Clark has to snap it. And the personal protector has to line up in a, in a new place. I don't think it's going to take that long to make that. You can do that as you're walking out of the tunnel at halftime if you need to. Yeah, not to mention, these are the guys with the most downtime in the game. Like, you can tell them on the sideline there in a few minutes during the next drive or whatever. I'm sorry. I'm just not buying that there were serious adjustments and conversations that needed to be had at halftime. Like, these guys are never spending any time in the locker rooms at halftime. They go in, they take a pee, they come right back out and start warming up for the second right. half if you watch them. That's, so, r- that's exactly right. I'm just not buying that this is actually a big deal. I, I'm not either. I get the, I get that it's a bad look for the coaches, right? It, it, it is, but it's hilarious. Who cares? Right. They, no, I'm who no cares? I'm, if Evan I'm, McPherson sucked or something, then it'd be a, a different but he, it was the best part of the postseason run was the special teams. So it's not like it's not like there's any heat on Darren Simmons right now for this. No, yeah, like I said, it's just a it's a bad optic that you don't have control of your guys. But your guys are okay. They they do their own thing and they do it pretty for the for the entirety of the season. They did it pretty damn well. Yeah, I mean, like again, acting like kickers, which I had this rant last year during the Bengals season that 
kicking shouldn't really even be a part of the sport, but acting like they are real football players and that they need to be like in this same mindset as everyone else on the field and locked in and know all these schemes. And stuff, it's silly. They have one very particular skill. You tell them to kick it this way or kick it that way. And that's about the extent of the strategy for these guys, you know, like, Oh, don't kick it to him. He's really good at returning it. Kick it out of bounds and said, okay, that can be said in one sentence. Like Correct. this isn't something where you need to draw something up on a whiteboard or show them film. Yeah. I just, sorry. It's just not. Yeah. You can whisper it into his ears. He's going out to punt. Hey, uh, make sure you put this one out of bounds. Okay. Kev slap yeah. on the butt. Good job. Good job. Don't l- let me help you out. Don't kick it to Devin Hester. That's about the only strategy that's existed in the NFL from a punting standpoint in the last 30 years. Clark, is there a chance you could have one more perfect snap, please? Can you just give me your 9,000th straight perfect snap? Thank you, Clark. Appreciate that. All right, Skitty, let's uh, switch gears here again. The NBA Finals Game 6 is tonight, Thursday night at 9 p.m. The Warriors have a 3-2 lead now after winning each of the last two games. Game 7, if needed, will be Sunday night at 8 p.m. Skinny, I ask you, where are you at right now in this series after watching the Warriors win two straight? Uh, I think it goes to seven, and I think the Warriors do win it at home. Um, it just feels like th- th- this series is now destined for for that. Uh, Steve Kerr's made a couple of good adjustments, in my opinion. Um, you know, trying to draw Robert Williams away from the basket and make him guard as opposed to being a, a rim protector, I think has been really good. But I just think the energy in Boston Garden is going to carry Boston tonight, and the same thing in, in Game 7. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, we come into this series and we're both thinking – I don't know if the Celtics even have a chance to win this thing. Then they get out to that two to one lead. They steal a game at golden state and you're thinking, Oh, wow, this, this is a different series than I was expecting. Now the Warriors win two in a row and it's back to feeling like, okay, how are the Celtics going to find a way to win one? But it's just easy to forget, you know, what happened in the first couple of games of the series. So it's been an awesome series so far. I think you're right. At this point, we are going to get seven games. I expect Boston to pull one out at home. And then I just can't see them winning two straight at this point, especially having to win one back at Golden State again. So I do think the Warriors come away with two opportunities to win one game. But I think the the biggest thing to me that stood out is you were talking about how the Celtics have tried to guard Steph Curry and the Warriors offense. And we saw two pretty distinct strategies in the last two games, both wins by the Warriors. The first was more drop coverage, taking away the driving lanes and the cutters and the stuff that allows the Warriors to really move the ball around on offense and, and play that, that style that it's fun to watch that looks so pretty. And the result was giving Steph Curry pull up threes and threes off of curls. And he ends up with 43 points and just an iconic NBA finals performance. And then in game five, They chase him around everything. They face guard him at different points. They don't want to give him anything. And it opens the floor back up for guys like Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins was great. Yeah, Draymond Green. So, like, to me, I think I'd go with what they did in game four. It's like if Steph Curry beats you by going off for 45 or 50, so be it. Steph Curry didn't make a three in game five, and you still had no chance of winning that game because you couldn't cut down all of the ball movement and the drives to the rim and stop Andrew Wiggins. So I don't think you have any chance of winning with the strategy used in game five defensively. I think you can win the way you played in game four. If Steph doesn't go nuts. Yeah. And and the flip side is Boston, when they make shots and this sounds so simplistic is, is impossible to guard just because how physical and how downhill their guards are. And I think they make shots at home. I just don't see them doing it in game seven on the road. 
Yeah. Well, and credit to Andrew Wiggins too, on the defensive end, because he has really changed this series by being so versatile on that end of the floor. Not only has he's been doing probably the best job of defending Jason Tatum, they've had multiple guys on him, but I think he's been the best, but also like you see the, the Celtics constantly try to get Steph Curry switched on to different guys and try to attack him. Well, Wiggins has been like coming over and double teaming and, and taking those opportunities away too, and, and getting steals or deflections in those situations. So, I mean, he's just been fantastic on both ends of the court. And it's funny because it's like, I think being that small ball forward, kind of that small forward that slides down to the four when they go with the death lineup has to be the best job in NBA history, or at least one of them to play alongside Steph and clay. Look at what it did for Harrison Barnes career. Right. I mean, the guy got a max contract after he left and now he's gotten another one for uh, I think four years, 80 something million again with the Kings now. So uh, it is definitely catapulted Andrew Wiggins, who was at one point a number one overall draft pick and then kind of forgotten about as just like a bust. He's now really coming into his own and becoming a, a big time player here all of a sudden in, in this NBA playoffs. It is so funny to see how the, the, the center has devolved into nothingness anymore. Right? It's wild. It, it really is wild. I mean, even, even, even arguably the best center, the Joker, is is really more of a I almost call him a point forward because you play you play through him. Now, listen, he scores in the low post better than probably anybody in the league, but he also does everything else out of the low post too. That's um, why he has so many assists. It's 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 you know he's a center in name and he's kind of a back to the basket guy, but he's not old school center guy. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a playmaker. He's a guy right. you're running your right. offense through, and he's playing out of the high post and facing up a ton. Joel Embiid does a lot of those same things, not quite at the level, and he scores inside a little bit more. But again, a guy who's facing up a lot and a guy who's making some plays for you. I mean, those are probably the two best centers I can think of. Carl Anthony Towns is, is good and, and still makes an impact. But you, we're, as we're talking about those guys, you notice who's not in the NBA Finals? I mean, there's, right, right. there's neither team has a good bit. I mean, Robert Williams is a good effort guy. He can help protect the rim and he rebounds really well, but he is not a go-to center, or like a star in this league. He's, he's more of a role type guy. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's amazing that you, it almost seems like you cannot find a way to win at the, the top level of the sport anymore. If you've got a, a big man that, that you rely on. No, that's be, right. It's, it's just strange how the game has changed. It'll be really interesting to see if, if there's one that's, transcendent enough to to change that around like if Embiid was able to get the right teammates around him and figure it out or something like that or if there's a a new young guy that's coming up at some point but like it it would be fun to see somebody win an NBA championship with a dominant center again all right skinny let's uh switch gears one more time here before we get into some ask skinny anything U.S. Open teed off earlier this morning but you can always live bet golf and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I'm sure others are too. So do you have any U S open picks for us? All right, Rick, I got two, two chalks, two fit, two long shots, the two chalks, Justin Thomas and John Rahm. Uh, both you got to take about 10 or 11 to one. I'll bet 40, 40 on each to win and two long shots, Justin Rose and Louis East to win about 600 and $800 respectively. All right, there you go. Uh, let's get in some ask skinny anything. No sports questions were sent in to us this week for Ask right. Any Anything. So uh, it's all off the beaten path type stuff. Uh, this should be a quick segment, but we'll start here. Name things on which you splurge and a few things that many other people spend money on that you won't. 
Um, I'm, I'm not a big fast food buy guy. I know it, it, I'm just not. I'll prepare a little home cooked microwave dinners before I would do that. That I think that that feels like a splurge. Uh, for me, probably my my big splurge would be occasionally a nice bottle of booze. Um, but I'm also kind of cheap at time. I'm kind of weird there. I'll, I'll I'll drink cheap, but I can also drink drink expensively as well. I'm I'm not a big splurge guy. I I I'm pretty. I don't want to say I'm conservative with my money. Most of my money goes to booze and gambling, probably. <laughs> um, uh, whatever extra income I have. So, yeah, I'm not a big splurge guy. I don't like need a new pair of tennis shoes every three months or a new pair of pants every month or a new wardrobe every season. I'm pretty conservative in that regard. I like that. We're not splurge guys. We're vice guys on this yes. podcast. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's a better way to put it. Yeah, because I'm the same way. That's like... I uh, I spend my money on vices like uh, gambling or drinking or, um, you know, the other thing that I'm I'm terrible about, especially with the working the overnights is like a fountain drink. Yep. Like going to gas station for a fountain Coke Zero. I will do that. Terrible habit. So into vices, but splurging wise, not. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's not really anything. I have a cheap car. I, have a- I, I dude, I, I have a, I have a car that has two hundred sixty thousand miles on it that I'm proud to drive until it dies, and then I, I will buy new again. But you know, I've had this car now for twelve years, and I'm fine. I'm just fine with it. It needs three new hubcaps. I'm gonna go to hubcaps.com and order them, and that, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we wear cheap clothes. I can't think. Of, I'm trying to think of yeah, what would be a, a real splurge in my life? It's probably- yeah. I, I, Listen, I don't like to dress like a slob, and neither do you, and I don't think I do. I just don't need a new wardrobe. I don't need five new golf shirts every summer. And you and uh, I have talked. I like clean clothes, so I don't, you know, uh, it's not like I'm wearing the same pair of shorts or shirt for three days in a row. I like clean clothes. I don't like my clothes smelling. Oh, I tell you what, you got to keep your summertime short pants extra clean in this weather right now. Damn it straight. is swamp-ass DEFCON level one yes, right it now is. outside. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, what is your favorite activity during the summer in Cincinnati? Uh, golf and sitting outside at night, um, smoking a cigar, listening to a Reds game, and, and drinking a beer or two. I, I love I love when it gets dark at ten o'clock at night. What's your favorite? I got I got to use a major golf guy term here. What's your favorite track in the area? Uh, believe it or not, it's a little place called Indian Ridge up, up in Oxford. I just I I that's it's my favorite by far. I I, I play probably 20 to 25 different courses a summer, but I always make it up there two or three times. Can I say that I can't stand golf guys saying track track. I love track. It was great. I, I it drives me nuts. Like that is, so, that is such a golf guy term. Everyone else. If you're not like a, an extreme golf guy, you'll just say, Oh, what course are you going to? Or where are you going to play? But if, if you're a golf guy and you're talking to another golf guy, they're like taking a golf trip. It's like, Oh, what tracks are you going to play? Yes, I Stone, hate that. Stone Lick is extraordinarily nice. It's just a little bit far off the beaten path, and I'll make a trek up there every one or two years, somewhere along those lines. All right, so those are your two. Yep. Uh, I would go rooftop drinking. We've got some good rooftops around here. Braxton is our go-to, but, yeah, I, I like the rooftop. But but you're kind of like me. It's the sit outside in the summertime kind of a yep. thing. I like that. Yep, if they'll allow me to smoke a cigar, I'll do that too. Yep. Uh, if your life depended on it, Skinny, how many cheese conies could you eat in one sitting? If my life depended on it, I think I could get at least 10 down, and then you'd have to tell me how many more I would have to eat. I wouldn't, I mean, feel, I wouldn't feel good about myself, but if my life depended on it, 
Yeah, ten for sure. I'm twelve. I'm twelve to fifteen. I think if my life depends on it, but it, you're, it's exactly what you said. It's like ten. I know I can get through, and then it's like, all right, where where does this thing stop? Do I have to get to twelve? I, I think I can get to twelve. Do I have well, to get it, thirteen? I think I probably get to thirteen, but like it's gonna hurt. Yeah, my usual order is is, is three cheese conies with everything with onions and, and mustard. I shouldn't say everything because it doesn't have beans on it, but three cheese conies, and the and the and the goofy part is. It does fill you up, but you get done with that third and you're like, gosh, I could use three more right now. Yeah. Well, if, and if you're like me, I eat them super quick. Little why? So if you go so through them I'll, quick. I'll try. Here's what I do. That's funny you say that because I'll, I'll eat the two of them real quick and then I'll eat some cracker bombs just to savor that last because I know the last one's coming to kind of kind of calm down the cracker bombs. So I do that just to kind of slow myself down a little bit. Well, you need to because you're exactly right. If you eat that and Chipotle is the same way for me. Like if I plow through it quickly. I feel like I could eat another Chipotle burrito or a burrito bowl. Or if I'm at uh, Skyline, it's like, oh, I could eat three more cheese conies. But if you sit there for like three minutes, you're like, oh, I'm disgustingly full. Yeah, yeah. And, and you do, even even with the three, you, you do feel a little bit bloated, but you're also going, man, I could, I could really go for three more right now. Yeah, I got to be real careful about how quickly I eat those things because it'll fool you. For I sure. will tell you, back, back, back in the high school years, I, I, my usual order was six. So there you no go. No way. Yep. Did they used to make the wieners smaller back then or what? Nope. Just plowed through it. Weighed 130 pounds. Chief soaking <laughs> wet. Six Cody's is, that's a big order for. Yep. That was the regular man. order back then. All right. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a three guy when I go as well. I haven't had Cody's in forever. This is kind of making. I actually haven't either. It's funny you say that. It's probably been about that. two or three months. Maybe even longer than that for me, to be honest with you. We just, I mean, I haven't had them since well before the wedding. So yeah. Ooh, I, yeah. All right. Uh, which do you prefer when you go out to eat free rolls at a roadhouse or free chips and dips at a Mexican? Uh, let me just say, this is in my opinion, the worst question we've ever had on here in terms of like the most obvious answer. I don't know if you agree, but do you prefer the free rolls at a roadhouse or free chips and dips at a Mexican joint? I do leave, love the free rolls at a roadhouse, but I am not the, I, I this is goofy. I always consider a roll kind of a side thing to either either the salad and or the main. I don't eat that as like an appetizer like a lot of people do. A lot of people pass the rolls around, the whole roll basket's gone. You're like, it's what you the meal people. No, yeah. chips and dip is the chips and it's the easiest. Chips and salsa is clearly part of the meal. It just starts the meal early. This to me, it's so easily chips and yes. salsa or uh, it, it, or the the okay, goat. So- the goat is Chewy's. If you had the creamy jalapeno. Oh, yeah. That's Fantastic. The yes. Yeah. That's the best free thing you get at a restaurant when you walk in. But I thought maybe I was biased being my, my history with Dip Friday, which when you think about it, kind of bad PR for Dip Friday that as it kind of rose to prominence, so did COVID. You know, not great. <laughs> glad, glad we figured out that it came from a lab in China somewhere, because yeah. if not, it wasn't looking good. And, and the great thing about that is you can fill up pretty good on the chips and salsa to the point where whatever Mexican meal you get, you're going to take half of it home for lunch tomorrow because you've already filled up on chips and salsa. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter what you order from the Mexican joint because you're going to be the same amount of full no matter what. You just That's make right. up for it with chips. That's right. I don't want to fill up on roll. rolls. Rolls are empty. Yeah, it's funny you said. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'll eat Texas Roadhouse rolls. Like, They're those fabulous. are the two best. It's Texas Roadhouse rolls Absolutely. if we're talking rolls, and it's uh, Chewy's if we're talking chips and dip. But it's I'm with you, though. It's like to me, it's something you eat if you have like mashed potatoes and gravy or uh, something with like some some juice on the side. You like dip it in there with it. I don't I don't need to just eat rolls by themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, that's all we got for this week. 
That was awesome, though. I like it. I like non-sports questions. Those are my favorites. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back uh, next week. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skin Piggy Podcast, the weekly Pope Pre-Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. <laughs>